0: And so that experience is the thing that gets people going. They're not going to invest if they don't see somebody who's done it before. And that is your biggest, includes your biggest financial partner, which is going to be the bank, right? If somebody hasn't done it before on the team, then they're not usually going to put their capital in the deal unless somebody just has a big enough balance sheet where if everything goes wrong, they can write the check to fix it. As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having another multifamily kickstart session. And today our honored guest is Marcus Phillips. Marcus, how are things in your part of the world?
1: Man, things are great, Jerome. Things are amazing. Things are amazing. Yeah, I'm here in the beautiful Pacific Northwest right now, uh visiting my partner. And man, there's nothing, there's nothing like the Pacific Northwest in the summertime out in Seattle right now.
0: Man. So Marcus hit me on LinkedIn. He's like, man, I got questions for you. I said, I I might have answers, but we got to record it so other people can learn from it. So Marcus, give the listeners a little bit about your background.
1: So I have a military background, went to school at the Military Academy up in West Point and did my four years there. And then active duty military for my next 5 years, transitioning out right now. Um, Over that time period, got into residential. So small multifamily, fourplexes, duplexes, and have been doing that with my partners for the past 3 years. Really got into like, man, I I love real estate. But the question became, how do I scale faster? Uh, So that's what we've been doing over the last 8 months is doing our deep dive into commercial, larger multifamily real estate. And now we're we're doing a deal, actively doing a deal, a 200-unit uh, ground-up development in Princeton, Texas uh, with Alvin Johnson. So me and my business partners, we're all working on that right now, and we're in the process of raising funds for it.
0: That's crazy. All right. So I got introduced to Alvin mm, probably eight months ago. So it's really cool to hear his story and what he's doing and to see you guys have linked arms with somebody who's got so much experience in the space. And so... <clears throat> Thank you for your service, man. You know, my one of my best friends, Greg Washington, went to West Point and he's on this crazy journey right now. He's walking from Mississippi up to West Point.
1: And, I saw that. Yeah, I saw and, that. Yeah.
0: So, you know, definitely a small world. And, you know, if you want to connect with another West Point, I can put certainly put you in contact with them. But yeah, so let's talk about it. I mean, you want to talk about raising money or how do you want to proceed?
1: <laughs> Yes, yes. So that's where we're at right now. I kind of just wanted to ask you some, some best practices and I I guess I'll give you the background of what we're working on right now. Uh, we've kind of talked with a couple of different, obviously we've, you know, started to tap into that West Point network. My one business partner, Kim, she is, um, the head of compensation at Netflix. So she's kind of tapped into our Silicon Valley network. We've kind of been tapping into our, you know, grad network and also looking at crowdfunding as well from a, d- a couple of different platforms. But no, I, I think my my overall question is just like from your experience, you know, best practice, you know, I guess the other part of it is right now we're scheduling events periodically throughout the uh, duration of our raise, but you know, just best practices that you've seen or you've done when you're raising capital. Yeah,
0: so kind of as a general rule, we don't raise capital, we bring partners into deals. And Uh partners fund the deal, so we don't usually do much with limited partners. And mainly because raising money is a different skill set than operating. And so we decided that we just wanted to really focus on being great operators. Now, with that said, I mean, real estate is a capital-intensive business, right? So you're going to need to have access to folks with net worth and liquidity. And so you should be continually and constantly building that network so that when a deal presents itself, you can reach out to people who have capacity. Now, you know, having an experienced operator, I think is really step one. And what I typically tell people who are getting into the space is you want to go, you want to go find a deal, take it to an experienced operator. And then usually that experienced operator will be the person that is able to do the raise through their traditional network. There's a very different type of investor that wants to do new development in a multifamily or commercial deal than somebody who's typically involved in syndication. And the question may be, why is that? Well, those development deals have a long tail. Construction is the biggest risk to the deal. And some people just don't have the stomach for putting capital in and then waiting 24 months, 36 months in order to get to first check. Yeah. Right. And then depending on the business plan, you know, they might not ever get their money back out that they put in because you hold the deal for perpetuity. You know, if you're doing a HUD loan and you got the 40-year amortized loan and it's, you know, fully amortized instead of, you know, you only paying a certain amount and then having a balloon payment in the end, there's not a whole lot of reason to sell that deal, right? But for somebody who's, you know, doing a construction loan and then they got to refi out Get into a permanent debt situation there's opportunity for people to make a really high return in a short amount of time relatively speaking and so just being really clear about that business plan i think is step one um step two uh is being able to explain that to the audience that you've aggregated that's interested in that type of thing right and so what we've heard for people who syndicate is probably that you know 10 to 20% of the people that are in your investor database will invest with you on your first couple of deals. That number is probably going to drop down to something less than 10% when you're doing a development deal, just because so many things can go wrong. And then depending on what phase of the development that you're in, it could get even a little more hairy, right? If you're raising money and everything's not drawn and entitled and, Financing is completely lined up. If all that stuff's not done, most people are going to run away because they want to come in at the last minute and just plop in. So that's the piece that you you have to really overcome is getting a list big enough that you can present this opportunity to in order to have that, you know, funnel or that throughput be a meaningful number. Now with your partner, you know, the, the experienced partner, you know, They probably have a specific amount that they're looking for you to help bring to the table. It's probably not open-ended. And for that, there's a certain amount of compensation that goes with that. And it's probably be my expectation that you would stay in the deal just to make sure you guys are in compliance with all the securities laws and so on, right? So, you know, that is something that a lot of people just sign up for in the beginning thinking, oh yeah, I can raise money. And then they find out kind of the hard way that getting somebody to give you 25, 50 or a hundred K is harder than getting them to leave their kids with you. (laughs) And so,
1: yeah, I think it's, it's all fun until, uh, you know, the wiring instructions come in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It it, it, it really is. It's, it's all, Oh, I didn't. And people are nice. Right. They're like, yeah, of course. Yeah. I'm totally interested. And then it's like, Oh, send the money. Like, uh, Wait, like, <laughs> I, I got to take it out of my and account and give it to you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, going through, and that's why I'm saying like the success rate on that. And I don't even know if success rate is the right way to describe it. But that number gets condensed pretty quickly. And so for you as the Razor, you know, you you don't want to get discouraged by the people who say no. Right? Oh, yeah. You
1: no, know, it's, it's just like, it's a, num- going it's through a numbers, numbers. It's like anything. It's a numbers game, you know? So,
0: But- so the know, like, and trust funnel, I and I'm probably the only person who actually calls it the funnel, in order to get to, let's call it 100 people who would actually think about investing with you, you know, there's probably 1,000 people who, who need to know who you are, and then there's probably 10,000 people, well, 10,000 who know who you are, 1,000 who like you, and then maybe there's 100 who trust you, and then there's some subset of that 100 who's ready, willing, and able yeah, to put money with you. Right. And so how do you set up the marketing machine to get the most amount of people in the place where they know who you are and what you do and the capacity of your team? Like That's the problem you're solving for. And then everything else really takes care of itself because you've got an experienced operator on the back end. And hopefully the marketing material that goes with somebody with that level of experience will bubble up so that you present things in a credible way. And so you're a marketing company, right? And most people won't say this who are money raisers. The marketing company needs to get the attention. You need to get the traffic. And I think social media is the best way to get access to that. And then it's getting people on calls. Now, with that said, you're already in the race. A lot of those relationships take six, 12, 24 months. I know of people who've had folks who said, I've been watching you for three years and now I'm ready to invest with you. They've never liked a post. They've never had a phone call. They've never done anything. They've just been lurking, right? And now it's time that now they've been satisfied or now they're in a financial position where it makes sense for them to make that, that investment. So, you know, there isn't a one, two, three step approach to get it done other than you've got to have... Ten times as many people know who you are than like you, and ten times as many people who like you than trust you in order to actually get to a number where somebody's going to actually place money with you
1: yeah, no, I like what you said there as far as being a marketing company because you know just like you say everything is a funnel, and everything is in numbers or I don't want to make make it seem like that, but at the end of the day, like getting investors in it's you know, you're going to have some who, you know, something comes up or maybe they're not interested in this particular deal. Kind of how you are going over the numbers before. But I really like what you said as far as it, you know, you're a marketing company and, and building that relationship. So I think that's one of my big takeaways getting into commercial is that, you know, it's more business focused. It's more marketing sales are more important than like on the residential side of the house. It's just like, oh yeah, like let's buy this house and flip it. It's as easy as that, you know, it's, it's that simple. But I think once you start going bigger, you, you realize this is extremely business focused, Well, it's th- awesome.
0: To that point. Right. Yeah. So a house is more of a widget. Right, we're going to buy this thing for this price. We're going to do something to it and we're going to sell it for more. Or in some cases, we're not going to do anything to it. We're going to sell it for more. For the apartment or the development, there's a business plan that has to be implemented in order for this thing to be worth more money than when you bought it. And so that experience is the thing that gets people going. They're not going to invest if they don't see somebody who's done it before. And that is your biggest includes your biggest financial partner, which is going to be the bank. Right. If somebody hasn't done it before on the team, then they're not usually going to put their capital in the deal unless somebody just has a big enough balance sheet where if everything goes wrong, they can write the check to fix it. Yeah. And, you know, investors are going to go the same way. I think the market conditions are right for you to be in development space. is part of the reason why we started going down the path. And, you know, it's, for stuff that's already cash flowing, already in place businesses, it's the most expensive that it's ever been, right? There's scarcity of deals. So there's capital that are looking for places to go that they don't have a place to go. Hopefully your project's in opportunity zone, just because development works really well in opportunity zones and not much else does. And so if you can go down the list of all the reasons why this deal makes sense, right? There's not enough supply. There's not whatever, whatever. And the th- I guess the other thing that I learned in going through the process that we're on is like, get your third party reports, right? Get your market study, get your appraisal. And now this is not you saying, hey, this is a great deal. This is somebody who's third party who created a report based on everything that's happened in an environment and said, no, this makes a ton of sense. And being able to share that with people who are considering it gives them data points that you as a... You know, operator or capital raiser, or however you want to phrase it, wouldn't actually have. No,
1: I love these that. These folks
0: are actually experts in understanding these conditions, yeah, and I think that will go a long way. A lot of people want to be profitable multifamily operators, but lack the knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital to be successful. They often try to overcome these challenges out of order, slowing or eliminating their ability to get their next deal done. We've developed a framework that allows them to gain the knowledge they need to find profitable deals. When they do, they create the time and location for them, as well as the generational wealth they desire for their family the Myers methods of multifamily investing have proved to be the fastest way to establish credibility and properly grow an apartment portfolio. If you want to know more about our four-step process, jump over to MyersMethods.com to get our free four-step guide to getting into multifamily investing. Let's get back to the episode.
1: Yeah. No, a hundred percent. I think that's one of the questions that, you know, we've been answering with investors is just say, and, you know, we share that market study with them. Here's where our rents are at. You know, here's what we think the market can bear. And, you know, that's, that's been very helpful data for us in the race answering some of those questions. Yeah.
0: So what objections have you been running into so far? Maybe we can talk about those a little bit.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think part of it's kind of, what you're saying before, as far as me coming in, I don't want to say, you know, like I was saying before, is coming from the residential space. I didn't necessarily promote what I was doing and my experience in that. Uh, the other thing is, is no, not I have an experienced operator, or we have an experienced operator on the team. But you know, raising funds and not having that experience—that's one of the things. Is it's always the experience question comes up a lot, you know, and we answer that by providing them with Alvin's experience. Some of the other objections are kind of what you're saying before is from the ground up perspective, uh, you know, the risk involved. And that's something that we actually just bring to the front of the table, you know, when we start the conversation is like, hey, here's what we have going on. Here's what we, we, we are going to do. But here's the risk associated. So it's not necessarily like something that's lingering in the back of their head with the construction costs, with timelines, with the risk involved with ground up construction.
0: The only other thing that I think would come up or start coming up is just construction costs. How do you know what it's going to cost to build it? Right. Because with the price of lumber and a bunch of other stuff, we've seen in some cases stuff jump 30 or 40 percent in costs per unit. And so that's again the construction's part of the risk right making sure you stay on budget and on schedule so you know if people all have the same questions it, there may be a real opportunity for you guys to do a webinar record it and answer all those FAQs right and then have that as part of your follow up material that you send to people after you talk to them about the actual opportunity and then that just gives you another level of, it's another touch point, but another level of, I call it professionalism. I don't know what this actually is, but just that extra boost on, hey, these folks already anticipated, they're prepared, and they've actually got something that's polished and already done for us.
1: I love that. Yeah,
0: Most people are not going to make a twenty-five dollars to $150,000 decision in a conversation or three. It's probably seven to ten. Right. And so what what do you have to follow up with them? What email sequences are you doing? How are you telling them about the progression of the project? Like, what are you actually doing? That's where the follow up happens. And is there a real process to, you know, either get them in the boat or out the boat so you can move on to the next person versus just kind of being sporadic and not knowing where a person is or just kind of hoping that if you wait long enough that something good will happen?
1: But yeah, no, that's, I love that point. That's something that the team is, you know, working. That's one of our big touch points is in the follow-up and then, you know, filtering out. Like, are you, like you said, are you in the boat or out the boat? Can you, you know, are, are, do you have the funds available at this time? Are you interested? Or, you know, can we keep you in mind down the road? And just like you were saying, continue to build that relationship.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, I've seen some investors take the approach that now I'm never going to invest with somebody on their first deal that they pitched to me. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how good it is. I'm not going to invest and I'll wait so until I can see the financial performance of that deal that they pitched to me and see if they were on target. And so if you encounter that situation, then you know you can move pretty expeditiously to the next person. But just know that some people just take that approach because they want more of a proof or track record once the person enters their orbit. No, that makes sense. What else? Anything else we can talk about today?
1: Uh, no, I actually, you know, the, the way that you caught my eyes, that your, your background, you know, P, PMP, um, I'm finishing up my P journey right now with the serving exam. For some God awful reason, I, I took it in, uh. The state of California so an additional requirement. Has your engineering background helped you at all with development? I think
0: there's probably a, a air of credibility when you stand in front of zoning boards and go in and talk to people about the drawings that's being placed in front of them. But, you know, I am civil, not so much from me actually stamping drawings, right? Like I I can't design a transportation plan. We were talking about the parking lot. I had ideas on how to use space, but I don't think that had anything to do with my engineering degree, right? I don't know turning radiuses for fire trucks or any of the other stuff. I just know that you have to deal with it, right? And so I, I guess the one thing that is valuable is that I've been exposed to all the things that we have to encounter. And I think it probably makes me a little more cautious than just really starry eyed and seeing only the positive pieces of it. Like for instance, we are dealing with the site that potentially has rock on it. Right. And we haven't paid to get borings for all the different pads and all the road locations or the pipe locations. But, you know, I do know that there's potential for that to have a significant impact on our budget. If it's really hard and, um, really deep. And so uh, I think I, I just become more and more cautious because I have done big projects and I know what it's like to not make budget. Yeah. And, you know, in the single family space, and you spend some time there, you know, if you don't make your budget in single family, you've got hard money. Well, that comes out your pocket because they're not going to give you more because you didn't plan your project well or you didn't see whatever was, whatever popped up when you opened the wall. So, You know, I I took my P.E. in construction, and so maybe there's some value there just because we spend so much time adding value through construction. But when I think about what I I did on my uh, Fundamentals of Engineering exam, I can say very clearly that I don't use that at all. (laughs) But, yeah, I I do think people people do see you as more credible when you went through those professional requirements. But I still smile a lot because, you know, I've got some stamp stuff from when I was in corporate America out in the field. None of it's falling down. At least they haven't caught me about it. So I feel pretty good <laughs> about that. But when I went to talk to the banks to get a million dollar loan, they all told me I wasn't qualified to do what I wanted to do. So every time you think you might have the box checked, there's always there is no substitute. That's probably a better way of saying it. There is no substitute for actually having experience as an operator of a development company. And, you know, there's so few resident or real estate development programs in the country that. You know, the only way that you really learn how to do it is by time in the seat.
1: Yeah. And the, yeah, you got to pay your dues. You got to pay, gotta your, dues. pay Which, your dues. Yeah. Completely understand, especially when you're you know, working with other people. You got investment dollars on the line. For Sure. Well,
0: Marcus, uh, any other questions? Because if not, we'll wrap it up, man.
1: No. Thank you so much for your time, Jerome. I appreciate it.
0: For sure, man. So guys, you heard it here. Marcus is getting in development. You want to put some money in the deal. New construction, 200 units.
1: Texas? Texas. Yep. Princeton,
0: Texas, Texas. Hopefully he's doing a 506 C. So we didn't blow this thing out the water. He can go talk about it everywhere with the accredited investors, baby. So get in touch with Marcus. So all this stuff will be linked up. It's New York capital, right?
1: New York capital. That's correct. And we're dealing with Hope Housing Foundation.
0: Nice, nice, nice. So guys, get in contact with them. Hopefully we can push some traffic his way. And until the next time, if pack's with you, we'll talk soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor, give us a five-star rating, give us a review, and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the PAC is with
1: you.